This week on Content Minded, I am joined by two very special women who I consider friends to give their own very unique perspectives on a number of topics that are pertinent to the current order of things we are living under in this digital online, or some will say extremely online reality that we're living in. Helena and Default Friend both have their own stories which have led them to this cultural moment to pick apart various aspects of what it means to be someone engaged in the development of the online world from its early iterations till now. In this episode, we discuss what some would consider the, quote, subaltern groups of the online world, the femcel, the incel, but particularly the experiences and the unique embodiments of young and, well, starting to not be so young, women and men everywhere, given their relation to particular forms of media, Tumblr culture, the online world in regards to one's identity, and various issues that they have with groups that have been propped up in response to various mainstream narratives of distorting and experimenting with one's own subjectivity. For example, there is a critique of rad femmes and the quote-unquote shrads. But there are some very unique and interesting points that my listeners will not exactly expect from the two women I am joined by. But all in all, we, all three of us, have an understanding, I feel, of the unique online moment that we are experiencing. Join us for a nice discussion about things that perhaps maybe just are commented upon too much, but maybe, perhaps, are significant enough and worthy enough to be spoken of. be you know because kino can come kino and nectar can flow um at intervals right like it uh it doesn't matter so um why are you guys looking at me all awkward like that oh my god no, oh, I'm, kidding. At no I'm kidding um <laughs> so <laughs> so today totally you know very serious subject matter we're gonna cover no but anyway so uh, introduction i i usually do uh a re- pre-recorded introductions because it's not uh, it's awkward when you have to pretend that there's an audience, which is, it's just us, right? So today uh, I have two lovely, beautiful women um, that uh, I think, oh man, I'm just ruining it as I go. I'm ruining it in my mind. Um, (laughs) So uh, anyway, like, share, subscribe. Oh no, anyways. Um, The reason, oh fuck, the reason I wanted to um, do this, and originally I planned, and we will get to the fem cell question, but, and because we, we were talking about the particular proclivities of fem cells, but the reason I wanted to talk to you too is I, I, I feel that, like, in some weird ways, as, like, self-aggrandizing and as, like, pretentious as this sounds, I feel that all three of us are on the precipice of a certain particular cultural moment that might have 
lasting implications in the online world, but also in real life. And I think that in some weird ways, I mean, the word the word victim is kind of like a, a very charged and like almost misnomer word, because I believe what Satra said once where he said that inevitably victim and perpetrator cross into each other eventually. Right? This is what Nina Power said in her book. Uh, she quoted Sartre. Um, but I think that all three of us in some ways have also been, I wouldn't say victim, but I would say subject of very particular developments in culture in the online world. And I feel like all of us have come out the other side in our own like sort of unique ways and our own unique approaches to it. Right. And I, I feel like, and so the thing with content mine is I always wanted to allow for the sort of vulnerability of allowing yourself to have that space to admit that, you know, when you pull back, we're all subject to this very, we're all subject to it. We all perpetrate it. We're all sort of in our unique place. And so I feel a good way to start off and maybe I'll start off with Helena because my audience is very familiar with default. Um, but <laughs> uh, that's no, don't worry. Yeah. She's all, she, see, she's always gets passed aside. She's just the default. <laughs> but uh, to start off with Helena, I feel that um, let's, let's sort of, uh, talk about our like your unique experiences then we'll get into other issues because for example recently i read your uh i finally got around to reading your marquee Substack with that that went into brutal i do mean brutal detail about your um experiences and your uh detransition story and uh what before i allow you to speak <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> You shall obey! Anyway, no. Um, the one part that really got to me, because I'm a cat person, was you, you talked about going home and uh, you, you were in the outs with your parents and, uh, you know, your cat, I think your cat was called Puff? Was it Puff? Yeah. Yeah. That really broke, that, like, that, that got to me. I hate to say that really got to me when you were describing how, you know, your cat Puff would curl up to you and it was like, you were seeing seeing your cat for the last time that for some reason that particular part really got to me but anyways i guess without further ado helena um you have been a sort of uh leading voice in a very particular community and you were recently on tucker carlson um you i think i think you can speak to a very unique situation that has been wrought upon young women in particular because this is what this stream is about. and my i can just hear my audience tuning out right now when i say this stream is about young women but you know <laughs> but no it's very interesting we have to understand this we have to uh so i i don't but the thing is i know you've told your story enough i don't want to get that the sort of like i have to do the greatest hits thing i'm on another podcast yeah, yeah. i want i want this to be unique and different so the one thing i feel that was left like sort of from your interviews and your substack, I want to, that wasn't elaborated on, was the very unique sort of content you were consuming in right. the days when you were exploring, you know, for lack of a better term, exploring your own gender identity. What right. were the particular themes and what were the particular contents that you were consuming that like, like I know, like, because Tumblr is a nebulous thing, but what particular aspect of Tumblr and other things like guided you down 
to to quote Mersheimer with that one country in the you know Eastern Europe guides you down the primrose path towards you know your the rest is history of course but yeah right so it's obviously a convergence of things like Tumblr which is the pretty much the only social media site I was using and I was using it like all the time 24/7 it's got a lot of different stuff on there but uh one of the things which is i think what you were kind of leading up to that i've been talking about a lot more recently is the just extreme presence and impact of like male male fan fiction on yeah. tumblr yeah. and um that's something that i think a lot of like other detransitioners don't talk about even ones who i know personally because they've talked to me about it i know that was a part of their life but it's it's really embarrassing um so well, I think we're here to explore the embarrassing so yeah i'm you know i like i like i said recently i am here to flay my psychology publicly for science um so <laughs> uh so i'm open to talking about it but it is something that uh it's really impactful it's something that is um it's intensely emotional it's intensely relational it can be intensely erotic as yeah. well. And so it's this like relationship that a lot of young females are having with this content online that's just really ticking so many boxes of like the human experience. And then this relationship to this content is then shrouded in this uh, ecosystem of messages that are all kind of pointing you towards this direction of like, you're not a girl, uh, all of these things that you're feeling, they're all signs that you're not a girl, you need to become non-binary, you need to become a boy. And mm -hmm. that's something that I think is like, more than anything else for girls yeah. like me, who kind of fit this archetype of like, uh, like shy, weird, socially isolated, loner, straight girl online who mm -hmm. becomes trained. Like, I think that's, it's a type. And it's, a major section of the girls but it's just something that like nobody's talking about yeah i think before we proceed i wanted to ask you about that but i think before we proceed one one thing i guess in terms of journalistic clarity and i think i think when we get into more heavier stuff we'll, i'll probably end up paywalling it but that that's you know a really personal stuff uh for example my uh interview with matt forney got pretty personal <laughs> but um uh i think that in terms of journalistic integrity I don't, I wanted to address two things. One is that I think I, I, the reason I love talking to you too is that I don't want to do the typical like exploitation, I'm plumbing into the depths sort of thing because I realized that in my position, I'm also a product of like our own internet, extremely online age. And I feel like, I, but on the other end, I think I want to contextualize this into actual proper thinking around it rather than just catharsis, right? Um, cause both extremes have their own detriment. So I don't want to come off like I'm exploiting you guys or I'm like, you know, oh, this is good content. Cause now the grody femme cells are confessing. Ugh. Like that's <laughs> not my intention, but also another thing that I feel I have to address. And maybe I can ask you this personally, Helena, do you feel like you've become like this poster child and that, you know, these evil hateful conservative bigots are using your you know using your sort of experience to um you know lead the charge against the culture war sort of deal and that's another thing i think like as much as i 
love to uh, engage in culture war. I feel that, you know, that has limitations as well. And that's something that I personally don't want to do because I, I like to, I like to get at people in terms of their, you know, deeper thoughts and experiences rather than, you know, Helena becomes instrumentalized in my own personal culture war game. So, but do you feel that like, do, do you feel that you, that conservatives in particular in the conservative media that you've been on, they've sort of used you, or do you feel that even if they have used you, that perhaps it's all for a noble cause, even if there is that wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, oh, sh you know, she's our girl right now, sort of deal. Like, I hope I'm not making it too gratuitous, but. No, no, I mean, <laughs> to an extent, I mean, that's something that I think obviously comes with the territory when mm -hmm. like I am involved in something as political as like the gender issues are, but. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, like I made the choice of my own volition to do the media things that I've done. And I do it with like a theory of what it's going to accomplish behind my decisions. So I don't feel like I'm just, you know, some person who's been wronged and in pain and emotionally a mess. And then people are descending upon me and just using my story for their own purpose. Like right, right. I've done a lot of work to get to a place where emotionally I feel like I can interact with certain media figures or institutions and not be giving up more than I planned to. Right, um, right, right. And that it's, it's kind of, it's an exchange. And I feel like when I do these media things, it's not just to like share my story or whatever. Um, I don't really care that much about sharing my story. I actually don't really like doing it, mm -hmm. but um, it's like, I'm actually trying to reach like parents because like my whole theory about this gender stuff is like the political stuff. Like, I don't know that will sort itself out. I'm not a political person, but I do care about how this is impacting families. And I think that like every family like has to fend for themselves and has to mm -hmm. take care of their own kids. And if they can be alerted to something that's going on or see that, you know, something really is a phenomenon. It's not just their family and then find better resources to help them take care of their family through like, I always kind of shout out uh, stuff like Genspect, which is an organization that I'm a part of that actually puts parents in contact with resources and stuff like that. Um, like that's really my goal that I'm trying to do. And I think that doing something like, you know, Tucker Carlson, like that's going to reach millions of families and millions of parents who have their own right, kids. Right who maybe they don't understand how embedded this is in the internet or how embedded this is in the school system. Um, so like that's, that's my goal and where I'm coming from. And so while I don't think that Fox News as a company is just like having me on there to be nice and to share my story, they're obviously, obviously you know, there's all, yeah, there's, yeah. let's not be, let's not kid ourselves. Exactly, exactly. You know? And exactly. Then, hey, and listen, and, and the thing is like, I'm kind of like, I'm iffy myself about doing this because I am, of course, someone on the political right on, I rub shoulders with some very far right people. And so I feel like, but aside from that, I feel like I'm sufficiently open enough to explore these different things. But I do, I, I do feel, I do feel almost cagey about like, oh my God, you know, that now my friends are going to get can because like they're associating with me, but then it's like, what are you going to do? I feel, but anyway, sorry, I cut you off. Helena. Go, go ahead. Yeah. We all know Fox news has the agenda there. Come on. That's like, uh, yeah. 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 That's obvious. <laughs>
And I mean, everyone has their own agenda, but you know, I'm, I'm talking about something that I care about and, you know, I want to talk about it and I make my own choices. So, yeah. yeah. And I feel like as we talk, I mean, inevitably it's going to, the detransition thing will come up, but I feel like I want to talk about things other than that. I want to talk about like the femme cell thing. So, um, and I want to get back without you, but the lovely default friend has been waiting so long. So maybe, so default now, (laughs) unmute yourself. Uh, You've come out of uh, content prison right now. Um, You know, (laughs) women, women should be seen and well, actually (laughs) seen instead of heard. I I was thankful for, I was was thankful for the reprieve there because it's very like loud outside. So I was like, I should lock the door. I don't know what's people having social fun (laughs) outside of this office. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't invited. Uh, (laughs) Oh, you shall know your place. (laughs) Locking myself in this bizarre room. So... (laughs) So I, I guess, so yeah, maybe comment on, on what we talked about, but also specifically on the sort of the particular type, because, you know, a lot of your content is, is very heavily focused on the original Tumblr culture that inspired, or rather, well, for the for good, and especially for bad, the sort of um, millions upon millions of young women in particular. I mean, we all know the story about Chan culture and influencing uh, young men of my particular generation. But so maybe if you can comment on what Helena was saying and uh, what we could go on from there. So, yeah, I mean, I I think that, you know, Helena's mission to talk to parents is is really important because, you know, I liked Abigail Schreier's book, Irreversible Damage, but it just didn't it. It's impossible to know what it's like Mm -hmm. and to educate parents on that situation unless you you really understand digital culture or you've been in it yourself um and a lot of the content that comes out of you know out of that and and with that intention is i mean it's it's good and and i think that they're trying to do something noble but they don't get it there's like a it's sort of like you know like warning it's like kind of like satanic panic like and i can Mm -hmm. i sympathize Mm -hmm. people who look at someone like abigail schreier and say well she's transphobic and you know burn it all down i don't think that's true um i think in some ways she's too permissive and then in other ways it's just very like she just does it she's just not on the ground and that's not her fault it's just it's really complicated to understand um and i think it's very dangerous to say that it 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 amplifies uh friction between mothers and daughters um that's already there um and adding this veneer of like a medically approved you don't get me you're abusing me um especially when the culture is encouraging teenagers to perceive their parents as emotionally abusive when they, you know, at worst are typically just incompetent, right? right um right. and you know, drawing those those boundaries and, and making those distinctions is 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 vital. Um I think there's a real anti-family message. And you know, speaking of sounding like Fox News, right? And I don't mean that in a propagandistic way. I, I teenagers tell other teenagers like your parents go behind their back, you know, and inject yourself with this and that. I don't see any meaningful difference uh between the way that hormones are sort of illegally smuggled among teenagers and often from adults to teenagers um then the way like people were sharing opiates in my high school yeah um and again it's not the same it's not totally the same but the mechanisms of of hiding things and uh you know i I remember clear as day there's a there's a kid in my grade who was like you know people um you know people exaggerate the the dangers of dope and it's not really a big deal and whatever and you know that's all fine and good 
and you get away with that for so long and then one day you overdose and you die and like maybe you shouldn't have been snorting him um and you know it's again not the same sort of one for one example but i think sort of this they don't know me they don't get it i'm gonna do what i want kind of attitude you can't understand a junkie's mind tries with your books and degrees to quote allison chains yeah that's Yeah, yeah yeah but i think but the mechanism is obviously different in that it's like well there is an identity issue when it comes to addiction i feel like there is sort of a crass romanticization of it, especially I think it was more prevalent among Gen Xers and millennials. I mean, it still is prevalent among Zoomers with like mumble rap or whatever, but like, you know, the sort of druggy, like, you know, trash outsider culture was like very prominent. Um, but I feel like it's different in that now you've taken, you've taken an identity issue and you've taken an issue of sort of the politicization of being itself. And now you've put that into the context of youth rebellion, which in some ways was always the case, at least from the 60s onwards. I mean, even before that, I mean, there were occult movements that had that similar vibe uh, in the 19th, 18th century. But I feel that nowadays it seems that there, there is, it, it's coded similarly in that there is this network of like sharing the drugs among each other, pair, you know, hip teachers giving you your first you know met like you know helena you wrote about how like utterly lax medical um system you were taking uh you were taking t levels that you know not even bodybuilders take like that's same like that's you know but uh there is some there is parallels there so so sorry i got you off default or yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's there's parallel. It's, it, you're right. It's it's not the same. There's a you know there's a civil rights dynamic to it. Right. But I think the thing that sort of undergirds it, which is, uh, you know, my like not only are my parents stupid, but uh, you know, they're actively, uh, you know, they're oppressing me somehow. There's a form of abuse. Um, I think that's what's similar, and that's what I think is like really sort of, um, you know, like underappreciated about this problem um and that maybe parents like don't understand it um and especially if you don't know what's what's influencing uh your children to think this way um and, and again like i it, not to do my like shit lib thing that i always do i mean it doesn't mean that people there aren't people who are trans or there aren't people who are gay i mean like obviously there are but it's just i think people don't really understand the way fandom impacts your mind either i think the other yeah this yeah, I mean, the other piece of this is like taking at face value someone who, you know, says One Direction is my religion and I am literally going to marry Harry Styles. I mean, and like, it's just so impossible to understand that there's people who say this seriously, but they're also yeah. 14, so it's like... <laughs> yeah, we were all there, yeah. Or like yeah. With, the, with the shipping question, a woman was recently telling me how her 16-year-old trans-identified daughter wrote like a 15-page manifesto for a school assignment about how Destiel from Supernatural is like real and anybody who denies it is just homophobic. And this is Whoa. this is like this is a girl who thinks she's a boy and she feels so passionately. Like she she wrote this like whole essay about how like it's a conspiracy like the show writers like they know that like the ship is real but they don't want to admit it because like the society is too homophobic or whatever like this like <laughs> genuinely kind of like schizo 16 year old girl brain uh, <laughs> like, like, i can't say the full name on youtube but the q but on, q only for teenage girls that's kind of like you know pretty much pretty yeah. much
But I feel like I think before we get to the fem cell stuff, the real heart of it to me, I mean, and you know, more brilliant people than I than me have talked about this, you know. I mean, Yurk has had multiple threads on Twitter about this. The real question to me, I think, is the ontological question of the affirmation of this is your sort of inscribed identity that you speak into existence, that there is a basis for that within your own being. But, or is it rather the more of the conservative, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, satanic panic narrative, which is, this is something that is a product of inculcation and propaganda that is tricking young women in particular. Because statistically, we know that this sort of rise in Zoomer um, alternative um, genders and, and uh, gender ambiguities mostly comes from young women. I mean, there are still, there's still gay men, there are still trans men, but there is a huge growth in the young woman being subject to this. So the question to me, I think, will always be, and this is one that will never sort of, I don't think in our lifetime will ever be solved between the political divide, like the, you know, political camps, is that, you know, the one end, it's like, it's perfectly natural, it's real, or rather it becomes naturalized through the process of exploration, which is the, you know, the progressive trans-affirming, or it's rather, this is a product of propaganda, and this is something that is evil, this is something that is violating the sort of citadel of the self that is inscribed to us by either God or nature or another sort of, I mean, even secular people who are more political, right? Like this, some HBD, uh, whatever, right? Like uh, some kind of evolutionary advantage to having sexual dimorphism. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, I hope I'm making sense with that. Like, it seems that there's that impermeable divide between the two narratives of how this issue has come about, right? Like, yeah. I don't know if you two have any thoughts about that. I mean, that's a very deep question, but yeah. I mean, I look, I think like with like Slash in particular, a lot of people, the first time they come across it, they're put off by it or they think it's gross. And then they see it so many times that they kind of they start to like it. It's kind of like I mean, it functions like porn, right? Mm -hmm. Like first, you're, first, you're like, whoa, what? And then you're like, actually, yeah, like male on male insight in the context of the, you know, supernatural universe is kind of yeah. hot. That's going to be clipped and taken out of context. I do not believe that. <laughs> don't we all bleep the, uh, the, uh, in, in part. The I word. Um, the I word. But... I, I, I say zest at the, you know, like those porn sites, they try to skip the legalities of it by putting in zest. Oh my yeah. God. What, what the hell? What the yeah, hell? Not my brother. Um, but. Uh... <laughs> no, yeah, not my sister, not my mother, not my <laughs> trying too many of my cards um oh, but <laughs> we're just telling <laughs> on ourselves right now <laughs> <laughs> look i i have i've been asked to write about this stuff so many times i've read every study in, in existence i've sh share it because i've wanted to do this mega article on the that particular issue of pornography and i've been afraid for two years now i've been afraid to write it you shouldn't be it's it's crazy yeah. i mean not to not to go on a tangent but there's no conclusive evidence of anything <laughs> just right. any, which is yeah. the crazy part. Um, but anyway, I, I, but the point is you, you look at it long enough and then it becomes a fixture of the culture. Um, and you sort of try it out and slowly you start to, to like it. Um, and I think what's, what's really interesting. And I think this is also a problem, um, with, with violence in our society too. It's going to mm. sound totally unrelated at first, but I think they're closely tied. You're detached from what the thing is and it becomes so abstracted that it's not the thing. Right. Um, and then you think you could take it into the real world. 
and that process of like talking yourself into it happens all over again. Um, so like a gay sex in a, a role play or as portrayed in fan art is not gay sex proper, right? Right. Uh, right, right. And you're actually totally unfamiliar with it. And then you reintroduce yourself to it when you start exploring it in real life. I mean, I think that's why, you know, we have all of these like lesbian influencers, like the the, the bimbo Chrissy Chapeca, and I use the word bimbo, that's her her coinage. Mm. Um, her, whole cha- her whole channel and all of her, you know, all of her social media is about how she's gay, um, happy pride, you know, she, she loves tits, she kisses women, whatever. But if you really look at her content, it's really just about how she sleeps with men. So mm. her expression of being gay is some abstracted gayness. I would I would bet one million dollars she has never seen, she's never seen a in real life. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Ken, no, like that that. But what is this abstract notion? So Helena, you were you were mentioning this. Um, like, what is it about like the Yowie like particular form of like. Can I even say the word twinkish gay male like that is divorced from the actual experiential nature of what it means to be gay? Not that I would know what it's like to be gay, but like, you know, <laughs> but like what what is it in particular that attracts young women of a particular type to this type of content? Like what what is like I know there's a kind of like we're getting into murky territory, I noticed, but like. What what is it? It seems that it's not like the gay culture of the '80s or even nowadays. Like you know, I've right. I've known a bit of gay men in my lifetime. One of my mother's best friends, actually. Um, and he but he was like the old school, like you know, 1980s gay, like you know. Uh, and it seems like that culture is so radically different than what was going around in Tumblr at the time. And like I just don't see how young, like young teenage girls, can relate to what it's like being. A gay man like it just it doesn't seem it seems illogical but then there's no logic to it i guess they, like the, yeah they don't and that's that's the thing they're not they're not into gay men and they're not relating to gay men um and even like words like yaoi or like twinkie i think don't really capture what's really going on because i mean i'm not a huge anime person but from what i understand like yaoi are uh, professionally produced content yes. that are stories about gay characters that are canonically gay. Um, whereas a lot of the gay content that is being consumed in fandom is not characters who are intended by the creators to be gay. Right. So that's one thing. And the second thing is that a lot of these characters that are uh, written into this narrative of being in relationships with each other um, aren't really they're not char- like like I said they're not characters who are intended to be gay they're not played by gay actors they're not styled as gay they're not written as gay they are for all intents and purposes fictional straight men mm-hmm. and a lot of the times uh you know somewhere on the spectrum of normal in in terms of like masculinity and heterosexual behavior they wh- whether it's a character or a man in real life it'll like their their partners are women they express interest in women they have you know, various uh, masculine mannerisms and interests and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, both Sam and Dean were married, if I recall, on the show, like canonically. Yeah. <laughs> so. What? But I said both Sam and Dean were canonically married on the show at one point. Yeah. I, I didn't even get that far. I don't remember anything about <laughs> yeah. the castle, but yeah. Uh, 
but yeah so it's it's not like gay men that are really like the the objects of these young women um it's 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 something about this i think for for some it's like a it's almost a a a fascination with a form of relationship that is between two men who are like friends or platonically close but i think there's kind of um either in reality or in tropes in media there's like a, a special type of close bond yeah. formed between two men and i think that's something that women don't experience in the same way and mm. are incredibly fascinated by this and incredibly drawn to it for some reason so i think that's one aspect and then there's all sorts of psychological things at play like uh one thing that i kind of talk about is how um as a woman or as like a young girl more more like um you can you know you want to fantasize you want to think about guys that are hot or whatever but sometimes you can be so insecure about your body or about your status as a woman you you feel so threatened by uh i guess your status on like the female hierarchy mm -hmm. um that you almost it's painful to visualize yourself in fantasies with mm -hmm. a man so yeah. there's something there with that uh, where you can have like these girls who they they get drawn to the the gay content because it it circumvents having to imagine themselves and it also circumvents imagining a separate woman because imagining a separate woman with a man that they're attracted to mm. that triggers all sorts of inferiorities and anxieties and then imagining yourself also triggers inferiorities and anxieties so it's something that appeals to a highly neurotic type of young girl um and like a highly like imaginative type of young girl where they yes. Like they need this fantasy aspect, but they, they have all sorts of conflicting psychological anxieties and, and complexes that make like normative fantasy and, and like normative relationship pursuit and normative expression of their attraction to men difficult. Yes, and then yes. they come across this content, like Catherine was saying, where at first you're like, what the hell? Like, I remember the first slash ship that I ever heard of was from the book, The Outsiders. It was oh my like, God, I yes. love The Outsiders. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Me too. That was my first encounter with it too. Yeah, oh my God, that's crazy. That's crazy. But I first read it and I was like, what the f***? Like, Ponyboy is not gay. This yeah, he's, he's a he's a <laughs> slayer in that book. Like, he's... Well, you know, as we're yeah. talking, Helena, like it's it's taboo without being threatening like i think the i think the mirror image yeah. of this is the is you know imagining a, a daddy or like an older man like these the the young girls who are nymphettes or you know as as it used to be called i think now they go by dalits or coquettes um they are not actually attracted to Coquettish. older men and they would be disgusted by a 45 plus year old naked body but they're back but in the they day they did that... like older men though what happened uh, no i mean i think like a like a 14 year old girl who's like you know tumblr blogging about this it's the taboo of like you're transgressing something but it's so it's like both um you, you know it's both attainable but it's also not like you know right. it's never actually going to happen right um and you know you find that even with that example the the, the girls who do try to transgress that boundary you're very traumatized by it yeah. and they actually don't want it it's 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 something that's like you can only imagine it. and there's all these other women who are having the same fantasy 
Um, but then, you know, unfortunately, a lot of like just like full disclaimer, a lot of those women end up do getting like preyed upon by creepy older men who are like borderline. Pain, I mean the the slash the slash yeah. fan girls get preyed upon too. I mean all of yeah. these groups, the the pro Anna girls get preyed upon by oh, anorexia yeah. fetishists. There's 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 a there's a predator type for every one of these communities. Yeah. But I think like what you mean, like which is something that is. And hear, hear me out, hear me out. Because I want to get back to Helena's point because I feel that even young men experience that inability to relate to the desired object, right? Like this is very, this is Vedanakonian, right? Like it is, you know, the object of desire is not the real object, right? Like that, the inability to experience, like there is this one post from um, back when Reddit was somewhat decent that, that Actrazine Griper po posted actually that um, I will read to you. But before that, I want it like, I know this is totally sus territory. And as a trad, I do not uh, endorse this. But of course, some people think trads do, but whatever. When it comes to the Lolita thing of like young women fetishizing older men, as creepy and disgusting as that is for older men to prey upon young women, we all know that morally, ethically, legally, that's terrible. But I do feel that there is a psychology where young women, and this is expressed in media, even in the book Lolita, remember the guy's life gets destroyed at the end, right? Like that was the big thing. He like lives a life of misery because he was essentially not, not that he was the victim, but rather he played a game with a very damaged young woman. And I feel like that aspect is not covered because we know how disgusting and evil it is for older men to prey upon young, vulnerable women. But these women particularly do have a particularly damaged type of psyche and they do sort of play games and they do have, you know, not to say that they are a perpetrator. I'm not saying that. That's obviously not true. But I'm saying that there is something there where there is sort of like a dance between them, which is will always lead to destruction. But I just think that there are particular young women, and you've said this, Helena, that, yeah, that, that the ones who have fetishized, you know, the, the baby daddy thing, um, there's obviously some unresolved issues, but without psychologizing it, I feel that even within the space of literature and art, there is that expression for it. There is that sort of history of it. Lolita is the most, you know, obvious example. There have been other ones as well. Um, Anna Niss's book, House of... Uh, I word, for instance, like that, that is another fascinating work of literature that doesn't deal directly with the subject, but rather deals with the sort of emotive sentiments of having a quasi creepy relationship with people around you that may have, that may transgress boundaries. So, but so I'm just, I'm theory selling. I'm very sorry though. Helena, go on and then default. Well, yeah. Cause I want to talk about this sort of relation about the inability to picture one's own being with the desired object. I feel that that's fascinating. So the floor is well, yours. I, yeah, I think to your point default, um, I think it's very true that a lot of these girls and my experiences with like the, the gay fan fiction stuff, I never, you know, was into like older men or knew any young girls who were into that. But I can imagine that there are similarities in that it's absolutely true that there's this fantasy that completely preoccupies the mind. But then when 
you go and try to bring that fantasy into the real world, it just doesn't work. Like, for example, um, like I would be obsessed with like these gay stories um, and relationships. But then if you showed me gay porn, like I found it completely repulsive and disgusting. Um, so there's almost something about that fantasy where the what is desired is more about the symbolism and meaning found within not only the narrative, but the creation of that narrative in a communal way that is more uh, seductive and, and more desirable to that young girl than, mm. you know, what is actually happening on a material. Well, I guess it can't be material because it's in your head, but but on like a, in, a virtual yeah. Yeah. In a way that, you know, if you were to try to bring these fantasies into real life, then it would be material uh, way where that's not really like the goal. It's it's not like like I said before, it's not that they're obsessed with gay men. They're obsessed with the creation of these complex, dramatic, emotional, cathartic relationships from men that they are interested in because of mm how they're portrayed in media and what those characters mean to them and what and and what the relationships between the characters mean to them like it's it's a lot of playing and and almost kind of like intellectual and artistic exercise yeah all fan fiction has that element to it yeah 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 so that's that's just my thought about that it's very like at least to me it was very unliteral like i said Mm. gay porn gross the actual gay guys that i knew couldn't relate to them um but i was in this fantasy world where that is what mattered to me do you do you feel though that um i think like you know having like i said having known gay men um the experience of them like coming into their own like recognition of that the fact that they are gay i think is very different than how like it's it, maybe it's somewhat similar to straight men coming into realization of like you know now i perceive women but it's like the the sort of the way in which like of course as a man i can't understand this but the way in which women when they hit puberty and they sort of discover themselves and they discover their attractions it's very different though in terms of the socialization of young mm-hmm. women and young gay men or young straight men even like i feel but do you feel that perhaps the reason that this type of content, besides the sort of narrative aspect of this is your favorite show, this is shipping, this is slash, whatever, do you feel that it's a way to neutralize something that young women inherently have a very difficult time with, which is young awakening masculinity and young men? Do you feel that by putting in this sort of ideational space into these particularly ethereal gay men, of popular shows or literature or whatever, is that a way to sort of neutralize their own insecurities around these, like, you know, imagine you're back in high school and you all of a sudden these brutes, these beasts, they come alive and they start to look at you like intensely with the male gaze and they're like, they're barbarians, right? Like they're young men, like, you know, <laughs> like, uh, I mean, they, yeah, they are these intimidating, uh, foreign, scary barbarians, but you're also 
sometimes obsessively attracted to them. Right. And I think right. that is something that is really difficult on yeah. young girls, but especially like the type of young girl that gravitates to fan fiction, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which I mean, maybe it's not all of them, but I think it's definitely like a correlation of already struggling socially and already just being extremely insecure of yourself and overthinking everything. So, and and I think that for these girls and a lot of them, like they want to have control. They want to have social control. They want to control how others perceive them. They want yes. to control how people interact with them. And when faced with this budding masculinity that you're describing, these young men are not controllable. Oh God, no. Oh no. <laughs> oh man. I, mean, I, would, I would add though that, that you know, man. I would yeah. say the 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 girl who is using slash to explore her sexuality is not exploring her sexuality with a flesh and blood young man. Exactly. There is nothing to yeah. be threatened by because exactly. they're not interested in her. She's interested exactly. in them. Exactly. Mm. It's a way to like take all that energy that you have of of, like being attracted to boys um and and just like completely like beat around the bush of actually having to reckon with like boys as they really are Um, (laughs) i know we're terrible we're fucking no not even not even just because you're terrible i'm not even saying like oh they're so scared because they're getting sexually harassed in the hallways it's more of like yeah it's more of like the the sort of the way that men like the way that we relate to each other is very different the way I think women relate to each other. Yeah. Especially when you're growing up. Like men are extremely foreign. And and that's one thing that I personally struggled with. So pre puberty, I had a lot of male friends um, and I have, I just, found them fun to get along with. But Mm. then once puberty started hitting, like Mm. my orientation to them and their orientation to me completely changed. And like, as someone who kind of really struggled socially, like I could not wrap my head around this. I could not like wrap my head around like how other girls were interacting with the boys in this new and different and scary way. So I just like completely checked out. I was just like, okay, bye. I don't want anything to do with this. I'm just gonna like recede into this world of fiction and fantasy. And in that world, you can like be really interested in this boy in these boys, but you're completely in control of them. You literally invent their existence. Like you yeah. are what makes yeah. them do what they do. And I think that is something that's really valuable to these girls where they have an outlet to express their attraction. Um, and their fascination, not only just attraction, but but just fasc- fascination and curiosity, um, but that they have complete control over it. Right, because- And yeah, it doesn't trigger the anxieties and inferiorities. Yeah, because men, by definition, at that age especially, are uncontrollable. Like, that's yeah. not in this, like, not in, like, like, we were saying, like, although that unfortunately does happen, like, the foregoing of basic decency and, and you know, predatory sexual uh, advances. But I do feel, but in terms of, like, the meta of, like, young men like you know for example my experience when i was in high school when i was in school in high school um you know i wasn't like a total book nerd i mean i was but like i i had respect from people because you know my family and where i grew up and like i was sort of but i was a nomad though i never had like a a specific group because i could go into different social arrangements but unfortunately you know i i know friends who you know they were in the like the clique right and like i don't have that i was sort of like alone but you know i wasn't bullied or anything in fact you know i i, I used to, i beat up a few older kids in my day when i was <laughs> in school but um you know 
<laughs> one kid i beat him up he respected me after that he was two grades older than me i was in elementary school um you know um but i think yeah it, it definitely is i think a way in which it assanges that anxiety by controlling the sort of subjectivity of of, of the being of of men but i think that you know the very let's call it uh very you know hot wire political implication of that is that now when you have an ideology that dictates that now you are in charge of the sort of subjective perception other the other the grand other has of you because that is enforced by a large chain of discourses and power knowledge and, and social um, orthodoxies I think like that's probably why this you know new ideology is attractive to these young women in particular because in some ways it does give them an agency to demand that the other recognize them mm -hmm. and and before default gets in I, I will say that there is an incredible loss of culture geared towards the sort of socially awkward not conventionally attractive young women because I would say during the 1990s, there was, um, you know, I made this joke on Twitter that to prepare for this, uh, this, this pod that I was rewatching Tank Girl. But um, I, there, there was in the 1990s, in the, the 80s and 90s, there was an explosion of like Riot Girl and alternative literature and comics made by women. And there was sort of like unconventionally attractive women or rather women who didn't fit the norm, who were anxious about the, you know, pretty girl you know, the social anxiety of being, a, you know, a young woman who doesn't experience the male gaze. There was like a ton of that. There was Riot Girl, you know, there was a bunch like that. But, you know, nowadays it seems like the LGBT culture has put in yeah. place that, yeah, same. But Catherine, you get in, but I want to see the discussion between you two more. So let's, yeah, let's see, let's see where this goes. I'm going to go grab my laptop charger. I left it on the no, other no side problem. of the No problem. Um... I mean, yeah, I think I think the other thing here too is that when you look at when you look at something too long, the yearning you feel is very confusing. Mm. Um, I remember feeling like I wanted to be a boy and talking to other girls about this, and it was a pretty common experience. And there was not there was nothing in my environment that told me um, that that's a normal feeling and that you can explore that feeling. So it, it yeah. was just never. I never had the opportunity, but you grow out of that. Um, I don't think I was comfortable in my own skin until I was like, I don't know. I remember looking at a photo of myself at 19 and just being horrified um, and not in the normal, not in the usual, I feel ugly way, but in sort of like, I could not believe I was inhabiting a body because mm. I was so used to, I mean, I am, um, I don't know. I like, I role played, uh, I mean, 24 seven until I was mm. like, I think I, I think I stopped like halfway through my first year of marriage. Like it was, it, it, it was a long time. <laughs> what do you mean by role play? Do you mean like, uh, um, like I did like text LARP over here. Hmm. It, it's not a LARP. It's a, it's, it's just the RP. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I would, I, I did like, uh, like literate role play, which is basically like, it's like writing a story. Okay. Um, it's sort of like, it's like collaborative fan fiction almost. Um, and I was always a male character always yeah live journal uh, that was popular if i recall yeah yeah i did it on live journal on zanga on forums oh, on zanga. oh my god 
Yeah, on Tumblr, yeah. on Twitter, on Facebook. When, <laughs> when, did, like... when did you discover like the the music of the fem cell, like Veruca Salt, a whole, um, you know, oh, Kathleen Hanna, you know, uh, the this... the Dresden Dolls, you know? <laughs> yeah, oh, God, maybe 2004. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I was yeah. getting, I was the metalhead at that time, so I was like, still listening to corn yeah. and you know. <laughs> Yeah. but but yeah go ahead go ahead yes. no but i mean yeah. like you you know you get attached to these characters and you pick portrayed buys right which is like the the avatar that usually a, a picture of a celebrity is supposed to represent them and you like look at them and you're you're using them as like a vessel to express whatever desire and you just want that body so badly because you you start associating it with happiness and real experience like mm-hmm. i mean to say i was invisible right was like i mean that is generous i mean it was just a really terrible terrible time and i don't think i felt seen in any meaningful way until i was like 27. like it took me like i you know late bloomer barely cuts it right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so it, you know it's, it's it, i i really think that i would have um i it, i would have had a very different life if i was maybe 10 years younger if you're a zoomer yeah. 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 Wait, hold on. You're only like 24 now. 23. Yeah, I turned 24 next month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I turned 30 in December. I can't believe this. this is terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. So, did did you start off like sort of strongly identifying with a particular role play or a particular um, like collection of media or mood boarding on Tumblr? Like, what was your sort of I, w- I don't want to say awakening because we all know the, the story, but like the sort of like the, 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 the slow seduction that comes with the sort of hyper real nature of media nowadays. Right. Me. Yeah. 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 Oh, um, hmm. so my, my first introduction to fan fiction was the outsiders, but I was only reading like straight fan fiction, um, of that. Um, and then I think my my slash awakening was, uh, hmm, yeah, the summer after my freshman year of high school, I was about to switch schools, and mm-hmm. so I was just spending the whole summer like I had zero friends, um, and so I was like, I'm going to reread the Harry Potter series. Um, and then, so during those three months of summer, I just reread the whole Harry Potter series. And I was like, oh my God, like this is, cause I hadn't read it since I was like a little kid. Um, and so I just like fell back in love with it. And um, I went on Tumblr. I already had a Tumblr account at that point, but I was only really posting about classic rock. And there okay. was no like shipping involved in like my interest in that. It was oh just no, kind of- you're a classic rock kid. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. When I was, yeah. when I was a kid, no, go ahead. You finish, because I keep interrupting. You finish, you finish. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm almost done. But um, yeah, so there was no shipping involved in that. But I went on my Tumblr account. I looked up like Harry Potter stuff. And I really love like Draco Malfoy. Um, I just <laughs> the heel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I projected so much because he's like one of those characters where he's not really that fleshed out. He just serves like a small kind of plot purpose. And then yeah. like it's over. But um. For some reason, I just lashed onto him and I just completely projected like my entire life onto Draco Malfoy. Oh my god! And that's when I when I started looking at more like Draco stuff. That's where I found like Draco Harry, and I was like, oh. <laughs> and that yeah, that was my Man. introduction. When I, well, I mean, I think we all sort of project our lives into our favorite, um, 
you know, I mean, even me, like, you know, growing up as a huge wrestling fan, I feel like that was another, like, you know, your favorite wrestler becomes the the thing. Right. But I, you know, it's funny, the classic rock thing, I, you know, I, I, you know, it just, unfortunately, I think, you know, now that rock is dead in a lot of ways. And I think the classic rock thing you know, geared people away from genuine exploration of newer material. I remember one time, um, me and my old man were in a Wendy's. This was like back in 2007. Um, and there was this kid around my age that walked in with the, the Led Zeppelin, uh, hoodie with like, you know, the symbols from Led Zeppelin one, Led Zeppelin two. And, uh, my old man, I don't, I, I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. He goes up to this kid, right? He's like, you know, you know, <laughs> how old are you, son? He's like, when I was your age, that album came out. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, Papa, no, no. It's like just the way the like, typical boomer, like when I was your age, that album came out in the seventies. Like, and it's true. He was like 14 when Led Zeppelin one came out. <laughs> so, uh, the classic rock thing. Yeah. That was a particular trend, but, but I bring this up because do you feel, Oh God, do you feel like that was like, were you a tomboy or were you know, you said you weren't a tomboy though. You like had no. some tomboy traits, but you weren't like classic, you know, tomboy neurodivergent girl yeah i know i wasn't a tomboy um i don't think i'm neurodivergent either i think i i don't know i have like just a weird personality where i just i i gravitated towards just a lot of maybe interests that intersect with like the neurodivergent tomboy but like Mm. inside is this like feminine like (laughs) straight normie yeah yeah because i think i think you know I brought up uh, the sort of the alternative culture in different eras that are now being like worshipped and commodified by Tumblr culture by, you know, late millennials and Zoomers on Tumblr, like, you know, discovering Kathleen Hanna or whatever. But I think like even in antiquity, like up until very recently, there was like they were pretty, you know, none of them were flattering. But there were spaces for unconventional women that were sort of skittish about their own relation to the female hierarchy and their own relation to sexuality. The nunnery, um, the school mare, uh, the you know the uh, the sort of the the, the sort of um, librarian archetype, like all of these, then later become fetishized by third wave feminists and then Tumblr culture. But still, these were genuine places where the female hierarchy sort of collapses into more of an organic, I would almost say quasi-communitarian element, especially when it comes to nunneries that are led by and for women. You know, this is why mm-hmm. Paglia says that, for example, you know, all the, the second waivers, they all had the quote-unquote nun phase, right? Like the lesbian. Well, I don't think it does anyone any <laughs> favors either for this thing of like identifying as hot, even if you're objectively ugly i mean the reason and you know and it's always skews people out when i say this and it's i feel like i've been saying it a lot on appearances lately but i mean like the reason that like i don't accept compliments and i say like no like i identify as ugly and that's what i'm gonna be like that's who i am is because i don't think everyone should be should should identify as beautiful or be like i'm a hot girl and like it's not about litigating that it's about like normalizing having that identity and not making a freak show out of yourself. Like mm-hmm. it can, it, that can be the reality. It's fine. 
Um, but but do you anyway, feel default though? Oh, sorry, go ahead. I cut you off. But like, no, I was, I was gonna say like I think like now you know the only people who seem to do that now is sort of in like this crust punk way where they don't really buy it and they're kind of like treating their bodies like trash and like mm-hmm, there's yeah. a real sense of like uh, you know there's they like strip themselves of, of dignity as a statement and I don't think that's necessary. Yeah, but but see that's but again like that is an older archetype with like female youth culture I feel like but nowadays it seems that there is a a conscious like instrumentalizing and commodification of those things like you in your article um I read you sent me but I, I remember reading it you said this tweet that like this is brilliant right here this is brilliant there's a weird overlap with millennial feminism and quote I'm a hot mess I'm trash I'm a train wreck rhetoric having sex you don't like having and hating yourself for it taco bell for every meal trivializing alcoholism getting another shit tattoo um it's funny because at the time of recording this monday i'm actually releasing another um installment of monday modern art madness but the patreon exclusive is going to be about tracy eman's pop tent like you know the, the the tracy eman tent where she uh Okay, so for those who don't know, Tracy Eman is the archetype of this, I'm a hot mess, I'm unconventionally attractive, I'm like, you know, the predecessor of Frida Kahlo, Uh, and she did this thing where she took a children's pop tent and she embroidered the names of everyone she was quote-unquote intimate with, so the piece is called Everyone I've Ever Been Intimate With from 1967 to 2005. And so that's like the installation. Yeah. So Tracy Eamon is like, to me, ground zero in the art world, at least for that type of archetype that you're talking about, Catherine. But it's like, it's kind of like, you know, the hot mess is, I think such, do Zoomers have the hot mess? Because that was such a, when I was growing up, that was a powerful millennial archetype. Every high school, every elementary school even had the hot mess. Like that Zoomers was- have mentally ill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like it's it's like a form of nihilism that's like very common mm-hmm. among millennials and and Zoomers, and of course, like you see it in Gen X, like Kathy Acker, right? Like yeah. who who yep. else? Yep. You know, but the point I, I don't think people realize like the point is Kathy Acker was a train wreck that you felt bad for and died tragically, and you know Courtney Love is tragic. Uh, Francesca Woodman is tra- yeah. yeah. All of these women are tragic. Um, you know, if, and if they, they didn't themselves, something else got them. And if they're still alive, they're miserable. I I, I don't like, there's nothing. Um, and now it's been sort of like norm, normified to, to yeah. be this way. Tracy um, Eamon's the perfect, another, like nowadays, if you look at her newer work in White Cube, I mean, it is like, like it's meaningful, but it's like, oh my God. Eliza uh, Schartz, that's I swear that's, you know what I'm thinking of? The abortion girl, the Yale abortion. Oh, yes, part- yes, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Another one. I, I cover that in my abortion is normal art uh, essay. Yeah, yeah, that that's another one. Um, do you think Mattress Girl, uh, Sulk, like you had this amazing no. episode about Mattress Girl, but like yeah, yeah. no, I, I don't think she she's not quite the archetype. I mean, I think she's she's a I think she marks the beginning of the reaction to that, right? Oh, um, but it still exists. Um, I mean, I think any any like even like normie tiktokers getting on there and saying like i had a terrible first date where i felt totally disrespected i got too drunk i f- him anyway and then you know and then he told me i was fat um and ghosted me uh you know and then like they're sort of laughing at themselves they're not laughing at themselves they yeah. feel bad and they should feel bad um and that's i mean that's a that's an example of it yeah 
And um, but but then the reaction I think is then when it comes specifically to the uh, the issue we're talking about, uh, like Helena, do you feel that was your transitioning away to was it an escape of your own insecurities around? attractiveness and so forth or do you think that there was something else behind it i don't know if you've answered this question in other interviews but i feel like it's pertinent because again i want to talk about other things besides your own personal story but like do you feel that like you can empathize with a lot of these young women who try to find an out out of their own anxieties around both like this sort of weird um i would say again i'm not a woman i don't know of course i have a different thing going on as a man who is not conventionally attractive but there is this weird dialectic where you want the male gaze but you don't like you you want the attention of men right because that's affirming for women especially nowadays i mean with social media and all that but you don't want it because the the externalities of having a lot of attention by young men and by older men and by all men and by creepy men and by terrible men by fat dudes like me in Hawaiian shirts. Like, it, the, you know, like the the reality of being a hot woman, in some ways it's like, man, it's kind of like going into, uh, it's kind of like uh, going into the Blade vampire rave and being the only human and everyone's looking at you with the vampire eyes, right? Like, the you know, the Blade one, the, uh, the club scene, right? Uh, but no, it's like, was that your sort of, was that what pushed you towards your own experience and do you think that's what pushes young women towards affirming a more of um affirming a fluidity when it comes to sexuality and gender yeah i think it's it's an aspect for sure but i think that that like preoccupation with appearance is like part of a just a larger psychological tendency to not like yourself and not feel comfortable in social situations because you don't like yourself and you feel a ton of shame about like literally everything. And so there is that aspect of escape, but there's also the aspect of like building an alternate self and an alternate reality that you like convince yourself you can just step into. Yeah. By yeah. by taking these like medical procedures and by dressing yourself in a certain way and by calling yourself a certain way, you can literally like shed your your past and everything you don't like about yourself. And literally this you can shed your your identity, which you have damned as being like completely worthless, um, and step into this like new better persona. Yeah. I feel like but men also have this, but I think online LARPing is probably another, an avenue of that. Like, you know, I, I'm not actually some, you know, fat loser in real life that still lives with his parents. I'm actually a based fashy, uh, giga Chad that posts about the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the birth rates and what we should do about that, um, on, on Mm. telegram or whatever on Twitter before I, in my 50th burner account on Twitter. Um, (laughs) I feel, but I think like, let me, let me say something though, before we proceed is that I do like, you know, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I do feel that, um, I'm going to get in trouble with my people, not with, you know, interlockers. Like, I do feel that in some ways, beauty and identity and questions around one's own self and perception to others, there is a level of social construction there. Rather, there is a level of, um, not that beauty in itself, like, cause I think that beauty is eternal in an extent, but when it comes to attractiveness 
qua beauty, there is where there's an ambiguity between attractiveness and beauty. Like, for example, and please, Helena, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not simping. So I'm just, don't worry about it. I'm this is purely objective as possible. I feel like when I look at your particular visage, your face, you have a very ancient um, structure and a very sort of, um, I would say, a, there's a there's an element of, I would say, almost like a Botticelli painting there. You have very strong facial features, but I'm being this objectively, not like, you know, I'm being a simp. But of course, Gio is always being a simp metaphysically. And <laughs> so, but you have a very particular bone structure, very particular, very striking facial features. But I think the pro the difference being is that you have a level of beauty that is recognized by this more older form of, I mean, let's say you have very Grecoid type of, you know, Hellenic <laughs> features, right? So, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, but that requires a maturity, something that I feel that the work of art could depict, right? That requires an engagement with the particular face of a, a woman that isn't though, that isn't what I would say among our millennial and Zoomer milieu and among the sort of the the um, instantiation of particular notions of beauty with right. our generation. Well, you not online. Outlier. In real life, it's yeah. probably much different. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, was, I was gonna say like the internet is like a completely unnatural way of of experiencing these things because obviously like there's absolutely a natural component in like being a woman or a young girl and like pursuing beauty and wanting like to be attractive both to men but also you know in comparison with other women like it has its own social significance among women female sexual competition <laughs> right, right. and like that's completely normal but like with the internet and probably with like mainstream media in general it's not just women competing with the individual other women in their locality and right. in their communities right. and the way that their physical bodies actually look or their physical faces actually look um it's it's you're literally competing with like things that don't even exist Instagram like you're competing baddies. yeah and not even just instagram baddies, also, like, like hypothetical woman yeah, hypothetically. Oh, you're yeah. competing with anime oh. girls. That's another. No, yeah. you're never okay, gonna win that example. battle right there. No, no, Medgold. And I've heard, I've, I've seen, oh, other, please, oh I've seen other women say this, right? I'm sorry. I'm you sorry to bring it up. Medgold. <laughs> Medgold. I'm still mutual with them, but go whatever. Yeah, I'm, go ahead. Go ahead. Moving yeah. right along. But the reason I actually think he has some very interesting writing. Um, mm -hmm. but the reason that women get angry at him is yeah. because he he constructs a hypothetical woman that the female reader is implicitly comparing herself to and knows she can never live up to. And oh, she that's pretty based actually. <laughs> becomes furiously angry, right? Yeah. But this is happening. I, and I use medical because that's an example that your audience would understand. But this is happening all over the internet all the time, and that's what Helena is describing. Right. Um, Man, I hope I hope saying something nice about this guy isn't going to make me a mark somehow. But uh, <laughs> you know, a lot, but, of, a but lot of like even far right people like despise him though. Like the Amarnites yeah, hate him. Yeah. Oh well, I've, I mean, I, I I saw that 
that they had a little throwdown. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't matter. This is nothing to do. I don't, I don't need this person's approval. I don't, I, it, no, it's no, none of my business. I know what you mean though. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I do think that's sort of like the, like a really good example that your listeners would probably know about. So imagine that, but then it happens in every sort of genre of post. And it's like you, there's like an imaginary woman that the person probably isn't even intentionally describing, right? But it, you just, it, it completely destroys your self-conception. But what is the woman that Medgol describes though, you'd figure? It's, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, like the beautiful woman with like perfect tits and a perfect face. And she's not so weird to be online. She wouldn't be reading this post. You know, it's, it's, it's the invisible female relative or the, the invisible girlfriend that's always sort of implied. And when he's talking about the, the good girl to his sort of like, oh, these like neurotic cows that I'm fighting with on Twitter. Yeah. Um, the femme and you, I'm you know, fighting with. Yeah. Right. Like, and you, as a reader, you think, you know, if you, you the the reason people get angry with him in the same way people got angry with Brad from Hitler because there's a part of you that secretly agrees and you're like he has my number and yeah, I wish when, I was this woman yeah like when Radfem talked about um like men like the the sort of like ethereal um lathe twink young man being like the archetype of beauty I was like I was seething I'm like Radfem please. <laughs> Like I, I didn't I'm the total opposite. One, I'm the Chud Morlock. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I the beautiful boy I'm not. <laughs> yeah, but like I, it's weird. Like as I've gotten older, I've been kind. I've become kind of like repulsed by that. By what? Archetypes. By the twink. By the twink. Like, the beautiful boy. Yeah, because it's, it's too. It's it's like because I see the twink as like that was me as a teenager. That's not like someone mm. I want to have sex. With. You know what I mean? It's That's like not a, a real burly man like me with hair on my chest. Gotta, uh, um, you know. <laughs> Not, not, that's not quite my taste either, but you know. <laughs> oh, 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 that's it. Medgold is 100% right. I am, I am Medgold's strongest soldier now. So, default, <laughs> I can't believe you did this to me. No, my um, simping, I should have listened to Keith Wood. Simping never pays off. No, but, but seriously, I think, I think we, um, yeah, and yeah. I, I, was, I think occasionally, like, women who are, like, not, um, aren't living up to the like imaginary woman like there's always a shadow of like the right. good girls like there's every sort of influencer will have that it's like you look at her and you see her imperfections as a woman that's where intersexual competition comes in right but it's like the shadow of like oh she's perfect oh she looks the way you're supposed to look she acts the way you're supposed to act it's very like it's a really overwhelming thing but do we even but but do we even have that influence in contemporary culture because it seems the opposite is being affirmed by contemporary culture where it's like you can't be the good girl because being the good girl is being subject to the male gaze and that is evil that is like robbing yourself of your own because i know like people have accused you both of some quite vicious things for different reasons um not to bring up drama but like i am <laughs> You'll doing all this part right i have to i have you to pay me saying something nice about med yeah no i won't pay all that um i have to i have to keep in mind my patrons want some nice hot goss but uh i know but both of you i think have been lambasted in some respects by some you know i would say more or less bad faith people and you shouldn't really concern yourself with criticism that like, oh, you two are playing to a particular right-wing male gaze and like you're playing into it. And like, you become like, you're harvesting an army of Sims and like, you know, you're using radical politics to do this. It's like, there, there's that, I think if you're a woman online that engages somewhat with, not just like right-wing politics, but I mean like the sort of unconventional, unorthodox thinking, I feel like a lot of women 
are subject to this. I've always maintained this and I've always gotten heat for saying this, that the role of the woman in a lot of these spaces is cut. You do get a raw deal. And like some women, like, you know, without naming names, the first generation of e-influencers on the political right, like they took advantage of that. But I feel like, first of all, it would be wrong to code both of you in a political category, right? Because like, I don't see, like, I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe some kind of like weirdo on Telegram will make an edit of Helena with the spinny wheel in the background. And the, no, no, please, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm gonna cut that I mean, one out well, before well, I get I'm sorry ideas. to speak to you, but I would imagine, I mean, I'd imagine we, we have audience overlap where it's like parents and women, right? Yeah, there, are, yeah. there are men, but it's, it's mostly like, like my audience yeah. is not men. It's not right wing men. It's it's like in, like politically ambiguous women and old people. Yeah. Like straight yeah. up. Yeah. yeah, I relate. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like I yeah. So the accusation that you two are playing to the particular desire of of online right wing men is kind of bullshit. What do you feel about the audience that you've cultivated though? Do you feel it's pretty even? I mean, I know inevitably skews to the right in some respects, but do you feel yeah. like? I, but I don't particularly view you as a right wing person, though. I mean, you don't have like an elaborate like you're not reading, uh, you know, Julius Civola in your spare time. Like, you're, or, you know, oh, maybe, 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 maybe. Oh, no, we shouldn't say anything because that'll I mean, you're you're one of the most canceled women in the world. So don't worry about it. It's, it's all it's cool. I am the most canceled woman in America. I'm yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> more more than Lorena Bovert, more than the, the majority woman. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, but no, no your I mean, audience is not particularly like right wing. I don't think like you have a very broad, like I mean, you do have a lot of gender critical people, obviously, but yeah, it's not like, it's not like there's people posting like you know, um, imp jacks <laughs> and giga chads in your mentions all the time. I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that that is true. Um, my, uh. My audience is very diverse. Mm -hmm. um, it's yeah, there are some right wing people, but honestly, um, I feel like I follow more right wing people than follow me. Like I, mm. I definitely sympathize with kind of like dissident right politics and and a lot right. of the stuff I said. Um, I follow a lot of people on like that side of Twitter, um, but I just don't really like partake that much in in like the the discourse that happens yeah. on that side of twitter because i see like i see my account as having like a, just a different purpose a social so, importance rather yeah than and yeah i know if i get into like certain issues like one of the only things that i've kind of like broken this this habit on is talking about the or the I don't know if I can say that, but uh, I'll, I'll the, edit it. Yeah, the sacrament. Okay. I like to call it. The okay, yeah, the the holy sacrament. Yeah. So I did. I did break <laughs> that to like rant about. <laughs> yeah. So um, but most of the time, like I just kind of like keep a lot of my other views to just like other spaces than than on Twitter. Right, so right, actually, right. because of that, I think um, I just don't have like that that solely right wing following. I do have a lot of gender critical people, but. Also, a lot of them don't like me, so that's that's. Well, you have a weird. lot of rad femmes that are in your mentions. A lot of like old school feminists, like these are. Yeah, which is interesting to me because I just constantly, well, less so now than I used to, maybe like two years ago. But mm -hmm. I, I just, I have very publicly like broken with those people. But if really, they wanna really, follow me, 
yeah, if they want to continue following me, that's cool. But I literally, there was like maybe six months where just every post that I made was just, I hate you, rad fems, go away. So <laughs> go away, snail, pulling the salt. Yeah. yeah. But what yeah. sparked that actually? Was it that you became more right wing or is that you have a fundamental disagreement with the rad fem um, constitution uh, or make it's yeah, it's a combination between like, be, my my personal views changing and me disagreeing with radical feminism and it's it's my frustration with how much like the the gender critical or radical feminist uh take on trans just completely dominates everything and coming from right. my position it was extremely difficult for me to like actually you know have my own analysis of the situation and form my own beliefs and uh, express my own observations and reflections because these rad femmes would just like come at me just policing everything that I was saying and like it's like they have their preconceived idea of it and it doesn't matter that my experience is different if my if what I'm saying deviates from their preconceived analysis of gender stuff right. then that means I hate women and I'm a handmaiden and, and like all this kind of stuff so yeah. um, and also the other thing that really soured me on them was uh the way that they treat like detrans men uh was like just a a huge frustration because these are like just guys who have been through a lot and, and a lot of the times like they're suffering like genuine medical consequences they were oh, yes. as yeah. children or as teenagers like the same way that i was um but it's like they're just kind of labeled like perverts and fetishists and like oh well they're just men and men are and all this kind of stuff so yeah i'll have to bleep um, that out as well the art well yeah but sorry, don't, don't worry about it don't worry about it. i yeah i i like people talking i i like to give you a good open breath but um because i you know i i'll take the time to edit it out because i feel that the conversation like for instance like you you agreed to this interview and like i said like i'm on the political right obviously i am yeah but i mean is it because you feel more comfortable with me because i'm not like that like unoptical or is it that like just we're friends and then it's like, you know, hey, want to come on, you know, my content? I went on my own. I I divested yeah. myself of follow the rules and now I'm on my own. So, um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just that we're mutuals and you post interesting stuff and I don't feel like you're insane. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, well, I, maybe I am. But uh, no, I, I feel like I, I because I feel like the times that we interacted on the previous podcast uh i feel like there was <laughs> the previous podcast um i i feel like it was a mess the first one and like we didn't give yeah. you enough sufficient time and there was like there was some creepy stuff going on i'm not gonna lie there was that one young woman that uh, never mind never mind never mind. It's ancient, uh, ancient, ancient, ancient. yeah i remember that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but i no because i feel like this is why i wanted to do this because you two are very unique and interesting and we still didn't get to um, the, the amount of attraction, but yeah, but so, but to, to round this off, this particular topic, would you say you're more socially conservative now? Like, do, do you believe in marriage and family and all that stuff? Uh, yeah. 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 But, but you're not, yeah, but you're not like, you're not like, you know, posting, like I said, you're not posting spinny wheels. You're not like a total. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I would, I would say I'm not like part of like, the movement like if, if you can call it a movement like you know what i'm saying like yeah. where where people they come together they're in the, all the group chats they're posting all the same memes like yeah. i'm not 
right wing in, in that like social sense. I just like privately hold a lot of these beliefs right. and I, I will express them honestly in like an honest conversation, but I'm not going out there, you know, like posting. propaganda posting. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as yeah. a woman, Unless it's something that I, that I really like care about and, you know, yeah. like the, and the you sacrifice. feel that certain positions that rad femmes hold that that grates with your more like pro family, pro marriage, socially, not, I wouldn't even say socially conservative, but like more, of your like your values like because that's kind of weird to me I, I didn't know about this deep lore that you had in a falling out with their ad femmes i think was it is, is it just their approach to men or is it their approach to the way they treat like you said the way they treat detransitioners but how does your theory of detransition like contradict their narrative like specifically and then i want to get default in this as well but yeah go right ahead. I mean, I see like the, the trans thing and it's like very, very multifaceted. Like there's individual psychological things going on. There's group yes. psychological things going on. I would agree on. with this as well, by the way. Yeah. Even though I'm the base trad reactionary, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very complex. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's certainly like culture and cultural and political and all sorts of like financial incentives, all that's going on. And I see that like it, it's on a large scale and it's permeating all sorts of aspects of society. And it goes so much further than just, trans like i feel like where i kind of break with the rad femmes it's like oh well if we could just go back to how we looked at the world in 1993 socially right. and and politically and sociologically then that's what we want to do but that's i don't think that's correct i think that like you know everything that has led up to this point you can actually go and look at that you can observe how things have changed and developed over time and you can make conclusions based on that and i just really disagree with there it's either like oh uh trans is a backlash to feminism it's like mm -hmm. patriarchy too coming right. back and like fighting the feminists which I don't think that's an accurate assessment at all like i said it's it's just so much more multifaceted and but but I've just felt so many times in the past that when I do try to explore these different facets, especially when it's kind of like a third rail, like I know a big third rail is like, well, how does the social justice ideology influence people to become trans? Right. It's not just gender ideology. It's all this stuff about race and it's all this stuff about, uh, you know, consent and sexual harassment and women and, uh, the sexualization of the young woman as well is an important part of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's definitely like a big third rail, uh, just like, like media and like, I, I don't know, some on the right, like would call it like the the regime, like the ideology of America or like the ideology of, I guess, like the, the empire. The but no, um, I think what's interesting, though, is that to me, I mean, I'm sympathetic to a lot of not a lot, but like a, a fair bit of rad femme ideas. Um, and I'm sympathetic, at least in part, to that narrative that a select group of men are utilizing certain gender ideologies to prey upon women. But that's right. like a totalizing theory. But one thing I wanted to run by you is that, again, I have a lot of sympathies with rad femmes, but do you feel that in their analysis of the trans, trans issues, What's really absent is the trans woman, I mean, rather, the, sorry, the trans young woman 
transitioning to the, the, the female to male. And I, I noticed that that's almost like a gap in their analysis. Am I, am I correct in that? Or do you feel, do you feel that as someone who was trans identified as a man, do you feel like they don't have a same um, theory of the trans woman that they yeah. do with the typical male to female, which I mean, I mean that they, hyper focus on. I mean, they kind of come at it with an attitude of like, we've got it figured out. They just have internalized misogyny and they just can't accept themselves for being lesbians. And right, it's just right, right. no more questions need to be asked. Like, why are you, why would you examine this any deeper when it's obviously well, but just But you're that. not sexually attracted to women, are you? I mean, I guess all women are, I mean, I guess. Well, I mean, yeah, women are a little weird that way. Yeah. But, um, yeah. uh, but in general, no, I'm, I mean, like I've been in a relationship with a man for a long time and yeah. I have no interest in pursuing women in any way. I want to have babies. There's radical feminist books all about female to male transition. There is? And even detransition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's but one, it, I think it's, it's call, just called detransition. Mm. Yeah. And I think a lot of those are written by like detransitioners themselves. Yeah, that is true. Detransitioners yeah. who, who right. do like have a rad femme worldview, but also, Gio, to what you were saying, like, for the record, obviously, like, you don't need to be a rad femme to recognize that weirdo men are taking advantage of gender ideology yeah. to prey on women. Oh. Like, that's something that you can just observe. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, the rad femmes are observing that. But once you dig deeper into, like, the rad femme just, like, community and sphere and ideology, like it's almost as unhinged from reality as the trans people are. Whoa. Um, Whoa. They're, they just don't have that like institutional infrastructure to enforce their ideas, but like, right. it's literally so similar the way that like they're, they're, they socially kind of like enforce their ideology among themselves and mm -hmm. like the purity policing and just like the lashing out at anybody who disagrees, extreme black and white thinking. And just like, inability to uh, engage with any kind of dissenting opinion or like evidence that contradicts their theory and like to me it's no better okay so obviously like the trans people are unhinged from reality by you know all this stuff about like gender identity and transitioning and all that but then the radfems like they literally believe that there is like no human nature in men and women like it's all layers of socialization and, and domination and, and, and domination exactly like there's no there's no generous way to look at men and women there's no generous way to look at relationships between men and women it's all this like nihilistic kind of meaningless anti-natal literally anti-human at some points oh yes you yes. and and to me it's like if you really go deep into what some of them believe, it's extremely unhinged and it's not healthy. And I was talking about this recently with Nina Power, her new book, um, What Men Want. Um, one of the best podcasts I've ever recorded. Uh, Nina is a good friend of mine and she is such a smart, brilliant, beautiful woman. Um, and she, I think, hit the nail on the head when because she was in, involved in these rad femme spaces for many years, decades. And uh, she has a particular insight into it. Um, I think maybe, well, I would maybe I could get Nina on with you two. That would be great. But but default, please defend the rad femmes for a little bit for me. <laughs> Go ahead. Why would I, know I we're why would talking I mad smack about your friends, but you know. <laughs> what? I, I'm not anywhere near. 
They think I, they, oh my God, they think the worst of me. I, they do? My God, I make, yes. Oh, man. oh yes. I can <laughs> oh my God. I, I do a sex advice column with delicious tacos. True. Oh, yeah, that is true. That is true. That's They're like, they think that I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, laying substrate at the, the altar of, of dick. I mean, they, <laughs> you know. You're worshiping yeah. the phallus, yeah. The phallus. Yeah. Oh God. The th- I mean, they. I, I look. I don't have. A, I don't have a problem with them. Um. But I agree with Helena that I think all. Um. You know, all ideological movements online just devolve into right. like we think it's a problem with wokeness, but it's a structural problem with um ideological movements. To be especially fair, like right wing people have delusions around sex oh, and gender swap. Sure they- yeah, I bet. Yeah. I, I've only heard through the grapevine, though. Uh. <laughs> it is funny how you have a very sim- you have a sympathetic take to med gold. That's that's gonna bury. That's I'm taking the golden shovel out for the rad femmes. Your relationship to the rad femmes people. No, I mean, I look. I don't. I I don't have a. Oh, I, look, I just here's the thing. I the online I world ha- is a wrestling match between factions, similar to New Japan for wrestling. Sure. Everyone's in a faction. So, That's what it is. It's an ongoing wrestling is. federation. And I, I'm not I'm not necessarily sympathetic to him. I think he makes some good good points, but I mean everyone makes some good points. I obviously yeah. don't. Yeah. You know, I obviously don't pay him too much mind um, because he, he, you know, he he enjoys. Uh, saying negative things about me as to all most of your friends, Gio. But that doesn't, <laughs> oh, that doesn't mean that doesn't don't mean that they don't. Me. Oh, no. I try to tell them. I try to tell. But like, you got to realize it's my a, situation as well. I have to. No, it's cool. You don't have an obligation to, and I, I would hope that you you don't. In in all seriousness, I would hope that it, it, you you wouldn't put your ass on the line that way. But I mean, my my only point no, is like, that doesn't yeah, mean they don't have you, some I, good things oh, to you, say. You're a oh, well, of thank you. You know, I. Um, you know, a lot of them, even even some of my most uh, pernicious haters, have some really brilliant things to say and some really interesting things to add to the conversation. So of course, I'll I'll open up an yeah. incognito tab. <laughs> but with the rad thems, um like they they do have their own like like I mean we all have like you were saying we all have this sort of like delusion around the experiential nature of the other i think that is what is yeah. going on here whether... and it's just too black and white yeah they have some i think they they make some really good points but I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I gotta be real. I'm a, a bioessentialist and <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. do think there, I, I, I think sexual there's dimorphism a, is, <laughs> there's a lot of things I, you know, I believe in gender, um, is another one, uh, you know, I believe in gender roles and that they, they definitely do not. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but, so, but then how did, how does like their particular form of anti-essentialism and postmodernism buff up against like i guess there's a question for both of you how do they buff how does that buff up against the trans form of anti-essentialism and gender non-conforming and like i would say i wouldn't say proper but i would say a bastardization or a hyper reification of postmodern thought because i will defend postmodern thought but in a different way but like how did it seems like there's a war between the two of them it seems very interesting yeah well, I I kind of have begun looking at it. Well, so radical feminism, like the, the academic feminism, like second wave feminism, yes, yes. obviously was uh, kind of held the, the 
the established view of how we're going to look, how, how the progressive side of society is going to look at gender and men and women. And then right. the trans movement academically really emerged from the very same places. So yeah. literature like the second sex, like gender right. troubles, like Pacalithia, like I would even say to an extent, some ideas from Simone Weil and, and, um, I'm sorry, I'm theory selling. I'm sorry, I'm, I cut you off a lot. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah. No, it's all good. It's all good. Um, but uh, so I, I think that this idea that that is kind of like the basis of, I guess, like second wave type feminist thought that it's like all of this gender is socially constructed. It means nothing. Gender roles are all just invent, invented to be patriarchy. We need to completely flatten them. We need to see men and women as completely the same, all but socialization placed on top of them. That is so far from reality that it's completely unsustainable. But we, we can't, un, under that uh, idea, under, under these ideas of seeing men and women, you can't begin to reincorporate ideas that actually give value to gender roles and give meaning to man and woman. Uh, all you can do is kind of evolve beyond that into like a convoluted way of injecting meaning into gender and men and women. And that's what I think trans is doing. I don't think it's patriarchal backlash. I think it's a next generation of thinkers like their brains are literally trying to reconcile with the reality that gender actually means something and that men are something and women are something right, and right. we have roles in society, but you, you know, they can't have the ideas that are verboten. So they have to invent new and very convoluted ones. So right. I think that's what's going on. And the rad femmes, they want to just like take that all and just drag it back to how it used to be mm -hmm. and put themselves mm -hmm. back onto the top of the hierarchy. They want women to be that like top victim class again. Right. But that's obviously it's slipped away from them. But they it's didn't realize weird. that their their worldview goes both ways. You can't just abolish men, right? Men will also that's why that's that's part of why I think they uh their critique of the female to male transition, while I think it's it's there and there are there have been books written about it. It is, there, it, you're right, Gia, to point out that it's weaker somehow. Like yeah, it doesn't, yeah. it lacks sort of the 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 ire. It's, it's because like they, they didn't have enough foresight to realize like, you know, what's what's good for the goose is good for the gander, literally. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And yeah. They also don't, like their kind of narrative is like, oh, it's all of these trans identified males leading this movement. And it's like these, all the power is in the hands of these trans identified males. But when you actually look at the trans movement objectively, most trans people are women, trans identified people, and most of the people who sympathize with the movement, like literally are women, Let's... Are women yeah. uh, the women enforcing it bureaucratically are women. They're women. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's Awful. really, like, you know? yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's all like, it's majority women who are like promulgating this and it's just to sit here and act and just kind of ignore that and i think that's part of the reason why the the analysis of the female to male and the non-binary stuff is so weak is because if you actually turn to look at it you're going to see a whole different picture than just a bunch of trans identified autogynophiles yeah. uh, and Martine Rothblatt leading the charge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so spicy. <laughs> um, I do, I do notice that it seems when it comes to the sort of siege mentality among a lot of these groups, 
um, there is sort of a level of like excusing negative behavior uh, in the intragroup relation. But then, you know, but but, but what, what's one thing I think that we were talking about that I think uh, we should go back to was the element of the difference between the way that men socialize and the way that women socialize and the way that men, I mean, I know, you know, Bronze Age Pervert talks about this all the time. And no problem, Helena. Um, about this sort of like, you know, how men nowadays having a strong feelings towards each other is coded as like, you know, being gay or whatever. And that there is no space for men to experience like fility and like sort of a deeper connect. Because it seems that men can have a deeper connection with each other in certain spaces. Like, in you know... And I think that, I, but then I don't know, maybe do young women have the same thing or is it different? Like, do you, you know, among your besties, is it like, uh, is it the same? Or do you feel that men have more of a capacity to sort of confront each other and to feel a connection to each other on a more, like, let's say, objective basis that can lead to very strong emotional ties? And, and that's being systematically destroyed, of course, by society, but that's another issue entirely you know oh man honestly i i don't know if i'm i'm the person to say <laughs> because yeah. i don't know well, it's because you mentioned it yeah but yeah know. yeah well i mean that's that's kind of like something that i've observed in like why young women are drawn to like fictional relationships mm -hmm. and i think those fictional relationships do reflect something that exists in reality but i can't say whether or not like women are capable of experiencing something like that because like honestly i am the kind of person who has like one or two close friendships at a time and they're like long-term friendships so yeah. I, I can't really like i don't know yeah and default do you did you sense that growing up or do you feel that the sort of BAP thesis is not, do you think it's valid or do you, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think everyone's relationships are sort of being, are sort of under attack right now. Yeah. Um, and that becomes really obvious when you talk to people who are from like the odd, like well-adjusted small town or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, like, like my significant other, um, is very, very well-adjusted and like grew up somewhere where he has, strong connections from his hometown and from college and from high school and then in work. And like, that's like a very, I think that's very exceptional. Um, right, right. You don't, I think most people are like alienated from, um, you know, are alienated from forming these relationships to say, so yeah, I think it's awful for men. I think that, uh, you know, it, it, we do say that these strong male bonds are gay or somehow predatory, right. or we try to brand them or commodify them in some way. Yeah. Um, but I also think like real sisterhood is, has been diminished. Uh, really? And I think, part, yeah. yeah. And I think part of that is like, we don't let women age. Um, we sort of, women sort of linger in the maiden phase. I was talking about this, Nina Power. Yes, yeah, you go, go, yeah. go, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, and I was talking to, to, to Nina about this as well. It's like, um, you're just not allowed to like move on, right? Yeah, and right. that, it's, yeah. it, it creates like weird tension. Um, you know, I know a lot of, um, like I, f I feel like there's uh there's a lot of tension between like you know women who accept that they're moving into the mother phase and women who stay in the maiden phase um i mean it, there's information doesn't get passed down between these phases either yes um, yeah crone has been totally made invisible there's a lot wrong so true older women are made invisible that is true 
Um, I think older men are made invisible, but that's different. I mean, older men can still like claw out of that through power and success. And, uh, but like, there's a lot of older dudes who also experience that, but I feel like there still could be a role for that. But when it comes to older women, I mean, the crone phase, like the wisdom of older women has sort of been, I mean, and let's like, there's also, I would say the negative archetypal aspect of it, of the crone. There's the longhouse mommy, you know, that is the negative aspect. But when it comes to young women being educated by older women, I mean, it seems that, but why is that in, in both of your experiences? Do you feel that perhaps, is it that the society, society devalues older women? Or do you feel that the young girl, the sort of the exuberance of youth and, and sexiness, that that is overcoded? Or do you feel that perhaps maybe it's really that women, young women don't seek out that advice from older women, the way that I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's all of it, right? Like, right. you know, what we see now is like the bureaucratic devouring mother, which is right. like the Nina Jankowitz, who yeah. simultaneously is right. pushing herself in the maiden phase by singing these like inane Harry Potter songs, right? They're obsessed with <laughs> Hamilton. They don't know how to adult, but they like Bloody assert this like administrative yeah. control right and it's i mean it's like that's the best we've got for the mother right and that's and i so it's it's every because i mean everybody knows that um you that if you aren't young uh you and if if there isn't a chance that you're then you're then you're worthless as a woman and everybody knows that and we have what not recommended that though nowadays though i would say i don't know like that's i have to i don't know geo like I'll say like, people are like are, are much are much kinder to the unbelievable man with charisma, right? Mm. Than the truly like abject woman. But the abject woman is 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 rare, right? Right, right, right. Which I think it goes back to the fem cell thing. But and I want to get Helena in this before that. Let me. I wanted to read you. Let me see if I could find it because I posted this to uh, Crooner um, when we were doing our content minded. This is a cap from, At I believe Atrazine Graper shared this. Um, this is a cap about a, it's back, this is, this is so dated, by the way. This is from the Forever Alone subreddit. This is from 2012. Wow. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, here we go. Um, oh, yeah. So the, let's see if I have an option to share it, actually. I, I think I have an option to share it um let's see here share um slides oh yeah anyways i'll just read it to you i'll just read it to you um there's an ongoing half serious claim in our culture that men think about sex all the time every 17 seconds or so that may be true for some guys but not forever alone after a while you stop being able to think about sex or at least the way that other people do you think about it abstractly and what watching and watching other people perform a stylized version of it alone in your room while you and your hand uh you use your hand to joylessly complete a sad shadow of the biological imperative. But you stop being able to imagine sex as something you could be a part of. You see women in the springtime, her midriff perking out between the soft cotton of a shirt and the rougher waist of a pair of jeans. You start to imagine her naked, constructing a fantasy in detail, the way 
the way her breasts would sit against her chest, the soft dow and absence thereof on her pubic area, and then you try to insert yourself into her presence, and the fantasy crumbles to dust under the weight of the abstract absurdity. You know there's no chance of events, no course of action that could lead to that ill-defined imaginary room where the two of you would meet an act of carnal congress. There's no way to there from where you are. It's even in an alternative universe, in an inconceivable one. It's like trying to imagine a world where everyone else is the same except for elephants floating around like helium balloons and having to anchor them by their trunks. An inherently absurd thought. That's the idea of you and her being intimate. So instead, you look away from that tiny sliver of skin, trying to keep your face from contorting in pain and bitterness, where other men might smile at her, at you, at her, you don't. Because you, your smile sucks, and you suck, and you're forever alone. So, <laughs> brutal, brutal. I've actually been in that situation, but you know. Um, it's, I think that it goes to, I think, the commonality between the the capacity to imagine your own subjectivity within the realm of that perfect union with a desired person. But I wonder, is it different for women than it is for men? Because I think we all know, like, I mean, there's much to explore still, but we all know about, like, the incel and the lack of, like, the sort of lack of, you know, being desirable as a man and so forth. But is that what I just described to you? That pretty much does accurately depict the unfuckable man towards a beautiful woman you can't even envision yourself with that woman it, i mean you know. every you know we say like oh well every woman has sexual values sort of the cultural narrative that's just right. that's blatantly untrue um you know imagine being conditioned to think that and then you i mean you so much as look look at a guy and he responds with disgust or he just looks right through you how are you supposed to react to that? But the cultural narrative is the most beautiful you'll ever be is at 16. But at 16, you're like, you know, you're Another. fat, have a big nose and buck teeth, right? <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think of that, Helena? Is you, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it, it, it would sound extremely crazy to some of the men listening or watching, but like, as a, as a teenager, that would have been relatable. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I know that's gonna like really upset people, but like, first of all, you haven't seen pictures of me from high school. I looked like a mutant. Um, I did not look anything like I look now. It, like completely unrecognizable, different people, fat, acne. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's how it is. But I think like uh, there's a difference in female psychology where like. Um, it doesn't take that that same kind of like fatalistic like incel route mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. where I think for me it's like it was easier for me to just kind of like float off into a fantasy world where it's like I'm I'm thinking about well, okay <laughs> to give an example like maybe I'll see like uh, an attractive guy or something as a teenager um, and I have that initial like attraction and then I have that obliterating shame reaction. Mm -hmm. And what I do with that, instead of just saying like, oh, I can never think about that guy again, is I'll find a way to incorporate that into my fantasy 
of like the fanfic and the slash and stuff. So I can actually, I can take whatever theme of that man that I found attractive. Maybe it's like he's, I don't know, athletic or, or like whatever, something that I found attractive in that man or like a body part that I found attractive, whatever, and incorporate that into my fantasy. And then that's my outlet for mm. uh experiencing that attraction but she i would became not the boyfriend you could never have in other words is that real real and like oh, you you'll, you'll see these like mtfs actually admit to that being like oh well i used to be an incel and then i got radicalized uh, or i got de-radicalized and i now I'm then trans. i went on r9k and uh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah and yeah, I, I every every character i've ever written has been based on someone i'm fixated on that yeah. i'll never yeah. have you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, as a as a teenager, like, I was genuinely like a spurg. Like, I like I was not like the girl who like is just quiet reading her book and gets asked out by some guy. Like, I was literally like the girl that that like guys would completely avoid and like not talk to. And I was the Holy joke. crap! Oh. I was the joke. Like, there was this uh, there was this game that people would play where it was like you would write uh, a time on someone's hand so like you'd be like 2 30 or whatever and on the inside you would write someone's name and the joke was like that you would write like the most embarrassing ugliest person's name that then that person would have to ask out at that time oh my and, like, god and then the person would have to ask them out and then people would crowd around to watch like oh are they gonna actually ask them out at 2 30 <laughs> and like i was that name like oh, i was going I was, to like, helena oh <laughs> yeah yeah so oh definitely. i was the fat kid growing up in my school that was my role but like uh it's no, rough <laughs> yeah it is well it's it is like nobody made a i was surprisingly immune from bullying though and maybe because i knew everybody but like i i, I grew up like i grew up in a pretty sizable elementary and then high school like i had a lot of people like five classes from my elementary alone went to my high school um but like, I don't know why I didn't experience, like I experienced some bullying. Maybe I, they were talking about me behind my back, but like, I mean, no, I managed to weirdly avoid that for some reason. Instead, I was a nomad. Like I was, I would hang out with the popular kids and I would hang out with the less popular kids. And then it was like, but, but I know what you mean though. When you're like, when it came to women though, I mean, I, I didn't, I, I was like, un, you know, I wasn't recognized whatsoever. Like I, I yeah. essentially I was in love with the same woman since we were basically little, like little kids. I grew up with this woman and uh, I hope she'll probably be listening to this actually. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, for, for one reason or another, we just drifted apart. It would never work out. And like, you know, you know, when you're a kid and it's like people envision you together, they're like, Oh, Gio's going to end up with one day. I just sense it. Right. Like it's, but that never happened because of whatever, you know, I had my own journey and I had my own problems in school and, but no, yeah, I, I it was only until high school I started seriously thinking about, you know, my role in things. But but mm. when it comes to like it seems that we're focusing on young women, um and, and we know about like older women who like, you know, are mothers or whatever, but it seems like what goes unmentioned is what is nowadays the older millennial woman in her late twenties, early thirties, late thirties, the Nina Jankowitz millennial woman like it seems like that now i mean in one end it is a subjective scrutiny because these are the people this is the demographic writing the think pieces but in terms of them analyzing themselves we're talking a lot about like you know young men and young women but what about like older millennial men and women that are in their 30s like it seems like 
that middle period of life goes unmentioned. And like, I don't know, it seems like that's a, for like a walled off zone in a way. Like, maybe I could be it's, wrong. It's, it, I think you're right. I mean, it's really weird because I was watching, I, I binge watched Will and Grace and uh, it's in season one, they're all 30, right? Mm. And there's this real sort of uh, delineation, like they are adults, they don't like kids, kids are gross, right? right, um, right. But they're, but that seemed to have flipped, right? As we get into the, you know, deeper into the 2000s, um, you know, it, beca it becomes like supplanted with, I'm afraid of adulting, right? Instead yes. of the disgust of kids, which yes. I thought is, which I think is like a really interesting sort of like perception change and what else you know what continues there is like in will and grace they're constantly having sexual partners same with friends right which has the same sort of trope same, same with, seinfeld. with seinfeld yeah 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 melrose like, place you know right it's just like this revolving door of sex partners um and i think that you know for some people for like a certain type of coastal upper middle class person that's still true for most people that's not true for most yeah, for most well, absolutely girl, well, not. Girls I mean, was the ground zero of this, was it not? Girls, like, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, in in girls, like Lena Dunham is. I mean, that was the joke of girls, right? That Lena Dunham's character Hannah was sleeping with men who, especially in New York, you couldn't pay for the bag over her head. I mean, that's just how it is. <laughs> Through a glory hole. <laughs> <laughs> you really gotta edit. I don't know what is going on with me today. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. But yeah, so yeah, it, it seems like the, the sort of old, like even nowadays, it seems like in commercials and in media and in film, they're all Gen Xers. The millennial is gone. It's either like the Zoomer euphoria, Stranger Things, or it's like Gen Xers in Hallmark movies. Millennials? Early, late 20s, early 30s, they're gone. They're erased. We're gone. We're, we are the sort of, we are the um, occluded generation in some ways. I don't, do you feel like that, Helena? Like as you approach your, I mean, you're a Zoomer, are you not? Like you're, you're a yeah, Zoomer. Like you're you're a, like a middle I'm, Zoomer I'm and millennial. Zoomer. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the cusp, but I identify definitely more with like the Zoomer mindset than I mm. do with like the millennial but i don't know maybe it's it's because like the millennials are really the first uh generation that was really the product of a lot of this like ideology that came out of the second half of the 20th century yes um yes. and and there's a lot of problems there and maybe like our society just can't reckon with that so we just kind of like brush it under the rug and and just yeah ignore it and do you feel that like as a zoomer that you don't have the same like i mean i guess you have a different nostalgia because the nostalgia machine on the internet on the millennial and zoomer internet is very powerful but do you you don't have the same relation to nostalgia and to older forms of media that i guess millennial millennial lulls do like i mean <laughs> yeah yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I remember being in, like, middle school and seeing kind of, like, on millennial internet, like, oh, all this stuff about, like, I'm a 90s kid and blah, blah, blah. But we don't really have that as Zoomers. Like, you don't really see, like, oh, I'm a 2000s kid. Yeah. Um, that just doesn't really exist to the same degree. It's so, it's starting to. Like, I remember, uh, yeah. like, 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 Zoomers listening to the, you know, like, 
corn and job for a cowboy and, and breaking benjamin i'm like i said this to turkey tom on stream once i'm like bro that breaking benjamin album came out when i was in high school <laughs> like you know i feel like an old man now but like it's i i guess well, like yeah there is i they mean say the 90s are coming back but yeah yeah, there, there's just a lot of like stagnation, obviously, in mm -hmm. in like the culture and in like the art that we produce. Like, for example, I, uh, I guess, My Chemical Romance is like doing some kind of like yeah. reunion tour or something. Yeah, and yeah. my friend went, and she just said it was like embarrassing old like 40 year old drunk men just like getting wasted and and horribly singing their songs and that it wasn't good um but you have like all these little zoomers on tiktok like these 14 year old like zoomers and they have like the 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 scene hair from back in oh the day and they're posting about my chemical romance and how they're like oh my god my mcr tickets and and there's like, a very disturbing there. situation where someone was trying to correct me on what happened in that era and they're like no we were just kids when this was happening yeah and i was like you were a kid yeah i remember yeah. it from the perspective of an adult and yeah. it was the first time that it ever happened to me. And I, it like kind of made me realize like, like I do want to age and move on, right? right. Like there you like seeing people misunderstand things I experienced as a 21 year old, for example, mm -hmm. has been like disturbing. So yeah. like not disturbing, but just sort of like, it kind of like, it does, it does ground you in a weird way. Mm. Because what is there to look forward to? I think that is, like when it comes, I mean, I guess this is always the perennial issue of cultural creation and aesthetic exploration and what, what left do, what is left to be had. Um, I feel like, I mean, Helena, you talked about this as well. Both of you actually have talked about this element of, you know, I can't create, I can't identify with the cultural products that are created for me, but rather um, it's like, I, I sort of, have to create my own sense of identity that you know that i mean it, it it's this weird way in which i, I mean lastly i think I, I should talk about the internet thing i know default you have to go but um maybe uh maybe helena if you could stay a little bit longer i don't know yeah i can yeah okay yeah yeah um so I'll, I'll then i'll ask default and then i know you have to go um the sort of element of the sort of virtuality of being on the internet, sort of like, especially the alienation towards one's body. Um, that's very powerful. You write about this a lot. And do you feel that, I mean, with Zoomers, they're fully immersed in this, but do you feel that perhaps maybe we're making too much of it and we should really just touch grass? Or is it true that the way that we experience intersubjectivity with each other has been so fundamentally imploded by these online relations and by the way in which we even view the body itself right like that yeah yeah i mean i, th I think that there's people who just don't understand any other way of existing yeah. at this point yeah. um there's an interesting quote it was like very it was very beautifully written um that i found in like somebody's thesis about uh, pseudonymity that it was something about like uh it was like about the creation of the author um and like, there was no role of the author before the, the printing press. Um, and there's, so, I mean, there's, I think there's something to that, right? Like there's so many of these roles that have been created by the internet. Um, and those are the only lenses through which people know how to understand each other. I mean, so 
I think for, for people, you know, for iPad kids, it's like asking someone to conceive of themselves without language. It's just impossible. You can't right. do that. Right. You don't know how. Um, and what, what would that deconditioning look like? There's, you can't do it. Yeah, there, there have been artists who have attempted that type of content. I mean, buyers, for instance. Uh, but that, yeah, it's 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 an impossible task in a lot of ways because lang like Heidegger is right, language is the house of being, and yeah, it's so. Um... <laughs>